I appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor Taylor, for allowing me this opportunity to come before your congregation. It is, um, and I apologize for, I wasn't here last week, but we had a good time in Raleigh. We needed a, a good break. And just wanted to sh- share briefly just, um, you know, I think one of the ministers that we listened to or heard last weekend was talking about pastors and what, um, what a awesome and great job that is. And he really put it in perspective, you know, going before the, talked about how when I go before the Lord, I have to be accountable for myself and my family and what I did with, with the talents and gifts that, uh, that was in my, within my family. But as a pastor, you have to stand before the Lord and talk about all the people that you pastored and how, I was like, man, you know, that is an awesome task that cannot be taken lightly. And so I appreciate you, Pastor Taylor, um, for being accountable for my gifts <laughs> and what you do with me. And, um, and I, wanted, I want not to be a burden, uh, but definitely want to be utilized the way the Lord wants me to be utilized within this body. And I think all of us should desire to want to be used the way the Lord wants us to be used. And, um, and the obeyed authority that is in our pastor. Um, they, they, they do have authority to speak into our lives and to give us direction and on how to use our gifts. And uh, so I appreciate you. And thank you. <laughs> it's, a, it's an awesome task. When you, when, just the way he said that, I was like, man, you know, to stand, I have to stand before my three, but to stand before 50 or 60 and, say, and, help, and be accountable for those 50 or 60 that God had given you to, to, to pastor and to shepherd and to be over uh, is an awesome task. And so I want to turn quickly to Luke 17. I know that we don't have our um, projector. And I had some awesome pictures. I'll tell you about them. <laughs> they were just wonderful, some really nice things. Me and Carl looked at them earlier when I was trying to get it up. We were trying to work it out. But, so you guys are going to miss out on all that. But... Um, <laughs> Luke 17, uh, verses 11 through 19, and I'm just going to, and the title of my message is The Power of Gratitude, um, and just talking about being grateful and thankful for, um, for all that we have, and just even hearing the Lindsay's talk about being in another country, I was reflecting on that earlier, uh, how in this country, we are so privileged, and we take those things for granted sometimes. I can remember listening or looking at TV or, or listening to the radio, and someone, um, it was an a immigrant who's, who, who was, I think, been, becoming a naturalized citizen, and they were just saying how great this country was and how they appreciate all the freedoms. And they, and they said, sometimes I think the Americans forget how great, this country is and the freedoms that they have because they take it for granted. And I was like, you know, you're, you're, it's so true because we forget about how, what war and terror and fear and, and other things that are going on around the world that we don't have, we don't experience. And, uh, and there are people who come in here and are so grateful to be here. And we just sometimes just take that for granted, that we can walk outside, that we can go to church, that we can worship freely, that we can do some of the things that we have the opportunity to do within this country, and I'm very thankful for that. So the power of gratitude, we're going to look at Luke 17, 11 through 19. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. 
And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when they saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And in some versions it may say, Thank God. And he fell down on, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And I think Jesus has some sarcasm. <laughs> uh, there are not found, they are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And again, the title of this message is The Power of Gratitude. And so I'm just going to give you some background information about uh, the Samaritans and why that was important, uh, where he was walking, Jesus was walking, about their relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Then we're going to go into the faith that it took. Then we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and then we talk about being made whole. Um, But ultimately, it's about having an attitude of gratitude and the power of gratitude. Um, I had a joke. I had a picture to show you. <laughs> I did. I really did. It was a comic strip that had a, a two lines. It was a line of a complaint line and a line for gratitude. And the complaint line was long, and there was no one in the gratitude line. And so often we are like that—that that we can complain about so much and gripe about so much, and you know. And yeah, all those things may be true that we have complaints about. And all those things may be going on in our lives that we may be frustrated about. Uh, But our life should be a life of thanksgiving. We We should have an attitude of gratitude. We should have, we should be thankful because we have so much. And God has done so much for us in our lives. And if you can't name it, just Jesus died on the cross. If, if, if for that alone, uh, I'm forever debted because of what he did on the cross for my sins. And so if you don't have anything else to thank him for, which I'm sure you do, and I can think of others, you're here, you're alive, you're breathing, you're walking, you have the use of your limbs, your heart is beating, your brain is working, you know, all those things. Um, so we have so much to be thankful for. We're going to look at the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans. In 2 Kings, and you can turn there, 2 Kings 17, 24, it talks about how this relationship started uh, to go sour between the Jews and the Samaritans. And that's why in several scriptures you may hear in in the New Testament, there are several scriptures that reference that relationship about, you know, well, there are Samaritans, or you hear the story about the Good Samaritan. Uh, But in 2 Kings 17, 24 through 33, it talks about, and I'll start at 25, actually, and it's so, oh, I'll start at 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, and from Cutha, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from Severium, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt there. So the king of Assyria brought these foreigners in, these evil foreigners, into the city of Samaria. And it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, 
know not the manner of God of the land, and therefore he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them because they know not the manner of God of the land. And the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of God of the land. And so I'm not going to read on, but he takes one of those priests, and that priest actually doesn't do well, and he actually succumbs to the evil and begins to preach these other gods. And so the Jews or the Israelites saw that as, you know, very despicable. You know, I can't believe these Samaritans would have these people come in and defile their temple. And, and these other gods, they set up other temples and, and, and worship other gods. And so uh, in 33 it says, the, the, the fear of the Lord and they feared the Lord and served their own gods and after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from them. So they brought in all these other idols and things of the nation, uh, from their nations. And so that began a relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans um, that go on even into, up into the New Testament. And this, was, this happened, I would say, two to 3,000 years before. So this is a two to 3,000-year relationship that began to go sour between the Jews and the Samaritans. We can read in the book of Ezra about the Samaritans wanting to join the Jews and rebuild the temple, but the Jews rejected them. They said, we don't want your help. You know, they were one of those groups that said, we don't, we don't want you guys to help us rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans um, didn't like that. So that was another notch in the post of disagreement or anger or disgruntlement. Uh, and then also in Nehemiah, it talks about one of the grandsons of the high priest in Nehemiah 13, 28 through 29. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but it talks about one of the grandsons of the high priest, Ishalab, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the governor of the province of Samaria. And so they thought this was one of these high priests. You, you allowed your grandson to marry this, um, this um, heathen person or nation or someone from a heathen country. We talked about the, the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is in Luke 10, 29 through 37. Uh, so again, that's why that is an important scripture, because the Samaritans were evil. They weren't supposed to be good. They weren't uh, a good people. They worship other gods and foreign gods. And if we turn to John, I'll get there myself. John chapter 4. And this kind of epitomizes, and this is the woman at the well, what the Samaritans thought of the Jews and what they, uh, assu- the Jews, Samaritans assumed the Jews, the Jews thought of them. But in John chapter 4, uh, verse 9, I'll start at uh, 7. There coming a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me drink, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask it drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so that epitomizes the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans during that time, that we don't have anything to do with you guys. So that brings us back to the lepers. And these ten lepers who were unclean, and at that time, leprosy was a skin, uh, at that time, still is, is a skin disease. 
And any kind of skin disease and a discoloration of the skin was considered leprosy. And they were considered unclean. And so they were disregarded. They couldn't be a part of the general population. They couldn't be a part of the, uh, the town. And so they were cast out. In Leviticus 13, 44 through 47, it talks about the leprous people were unclean and the priests shall pronounce them utterly unclean. And they could not be a part of the general population. If you read in Leviticus, it talks about what they had to do, actually, to become back, uh, if they were ever clean, they had a, the uh, priest had to do some customary things, which was lengthy. If you read in Leviticus 14, 1 through 32, it talks about all the things that if you had leprosy and you were healed, that you had to show yourself to the priest, and the priest had to go through all these ritual, uh, ritualistic things so that you could be pronounced clean again. And so this made me think about, wow, I'm so glad that God loves me enough to clean me and I don't have to do, I don't have to burn uh, calves and goats and kill birds and have blood dripped on me and just, it goes through a whole list of things. Um, But it was customary that if you were ever healed by leprosy, and that's why Jesus says in several places, go show yourself to the priest, because he knew that they had to go through those rituals to get them to be pronounced clean again in their community. Um, and in Luke 5, 12 through 14, it says, While Jesus um, was in one of the towns, a man came along and was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for um, that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so this is one of the things Jesus did. He he knew the law. He knew that this is one of the things that you had to do in order to be considered clean and to get back into right fellowship with the general population. And so we have these ten lepers that come uh, that are standing outside the city, more or less, outside of Samaria. Samaria and I can assume that they weren't well-liked. Um, and we can assume, too, from some of my research, that they weren't all Samaritans, that some of them were Jews in that congregation. And, that's, and these, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how all these lepers kind of band together and made their own community. And that's, that happens sometimes. You can see people who are depressed kind of get together and make their own community. People who have anxiety issues kind of band together and make their own community. Um, that's not good, <laughs> but it happens that some like sicknesses and like disease and like-minded people who are or who are complainers kind of get together and they all complain, or who are gossipers all get together and they gossip, uh, who are who are bike biter, biters or whatever you know you can we can name a list of them. They all kind of get together and they hoard together, and I can I can imagine these lepers who have been cast out of their cities kind of hoarding together because now they can make their own community because no one else liked them. And that was a dangerous community to be in because you, you have nothing to lose. There's no standard in that community. Um, there's no, uh, no godly standard. But I could, I could see them desiring to be made whole again and desiring to want to be in right relationship, but because of the physical appearance, would not be allowed to. And sometimes we ourselves can fall into that because someone doesn't look the right way, we won't allow them in our circle because they don't do the things that we like to do 
they can't be a part of our group. Um, they, don't, they don't wear the, the right clothes. They don't go to the right stores. They don't drive the right car. And so therefore, they can't be a part of me. They can't be a part of our group. And these lepers, I'm sure, felt that way because of their disease, that they couldn't be a part of the general population anymore. And they, even if they desired to, they weren't, they weren't going to be able to. But Jesus does a miraculous thing. And, and look and read in that scripture, one, I asked the question, which I still haven't found the answer. They, and they may have just known Jesus because he had done some healing in, the, in that area before. And so his, he might have known how he looked or known his appearance. But they knew him by name. They said, Jesus, Master, would you heal us? And so these, these lepers knew Jesus or knew of him and called out to him. And Jesus does a real powerful thing, unlike the verse in Luke 5, 12 through 14, where he actually heals the man on the spot and then tells him to go show himself to the priest. He actually desires something of them that I would not have, I would have questioned initially. Um, he, wanted to, he wanted them to have some faith. And so he doesn't, he doesn't heal them right then. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And for those lepers, they really had to have some faith and believe that, that Jesus was the man and his word could be stood upon because they actually began to walk towards where the priests were. And that was, not, that was not common. The lepers, like I said, were cast out. They were not supposed to have any dealings with the general population. So for them to do that, they believed that he was going to heal them, even while in their present state, they weren't healed. But Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. So in their minds, they said, well, we're going to be healed. And they had faith and belief just on his word alone that they were going to be healed. And so that really stuck to me because I don't do that always. <laughs> that um, the Lord can tell you and maybe I'm the only one that doesn't do that, um, but um, I, I don't think so. Um, but sometimes, I, and we're talking about James 1, it talks about consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so Jesus immediately was testing their faith because some of them could have chose not to go. Some of them could have said, well, I still have leprosy. Even though I asked him, I still have this leprosy. I'm not going to go. I'm just going to stay here because I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to go in the city and everyone, you know, throw stones at me or cast me out again or go through that humiliation again. No, they, they chose to go because they believe his word. And so some of the times like, man, Lord, you know, that, that's powerful. That is a great faith to be, when you say this is what I want you to do, not to have a Bible study on it or not to have a prayer meeting about it or not to, you know, some of the seven, uh, uh, what is it, the Harbor Light Principle. Yes, I was trying to find a word. But yeah, which, which is good, and we should follow those things. Um, but sometimes God tells you to do something in the moment, and you need to do it in the moment. I can think about um, Moses and his, uh, Abraham and him sacrificing Isaac, if he wasn't in tune with the Holy Spirit, he would have killed his son. Doing what the Lord told him to do. Now, isn't it amazing that the Lord, I'm doing what the Lord told me to do, but I make a mistake in doing that because 
I'm not listening. I'm not in tune. And, and God may tell you to do something different in that moment, and you need to change and do something different in that moment. There's a shift sometimes that happens in the spirit where he told you to go right. And you knew he told you to go right on Tuesday, and you're going right. But on Wednesday, he says, now go left. But because you're not in tune, you, you continue to go right. And you're going off of what God told you to do. He told you to go right. But on Wednesday, you didn't check in, and he said he, the directions changed, and he said go left. So you're still going off of Tuesday's directions when Wednesday's direction says go left. And we miss it. And I can imagine these guys or Abraham missing the mark because they were going off of old directions or going off of what the Holy Spirit said last week. But the Holy Spirit is saying something different on today or different, going off what the Holy Spirit said on Monday or this morning, and the Holy Spirit is saying something different this afternoon about your life and what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go and the expectation he has for you. And so many times we can get caught up. I, I am one to say, well, Lord, you told me to do this. Well, Virgil, I'm telling you to do it different today. <laughs> well, I can put your name in. I'm not, I'm not going to, though. But... Um, <laughs> Because I'm the only one that happens to, so I'm not going to worry about it. But uh, it's so important for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and what he is saying. I think often about um, a GPS system and its global positioning system and how we have faith in so many, so many things. We will, we will not know where we're going, and we will punch in the directions and obey exactly what that woman or man says in the GPS, without doubt. And we will question the streets versus the GPS. Well, where's the street? The GPS says it's supposed to be here. Something's wrong. Something's not placed right. We will have faith in that more so than what the Lord tells us to. Isn't that amazing? That we, we, and we don't have a lack of faith. We can't say that we don't have a lack of faith. You have faith when you said, did anyone when they came in today did they inspect the seat? Did they look to see if the screws were tight? Did they make sure the back wasn't going to fall off? Or, you know, make sure the seat wasn't going to cave in and the cushion wasn't going to break when you sat in it? Did any of us, anyone do that? No? Why didn't you? Because you believed. I mean, you had faith in Cornerstone that they're not going to put out <laughs> some dangerous seats. So when you sat in it, it was going to support you. You had faith in that. And we, we exhibit faith all the time. But sometimes when the Holy Spirit is telling us, we have this fear or this desire to say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't have to do that. Or, you know, I don't believe it's going to happen when the Lord tells us to do something. Whether, it's, whether he's telling us directly or whether he's preaching to us or whether it's through his word, we begin to doubt so often when we believe in so many other things that make no sense for us to believe in. And, Sometimes when you even do the GPS, when you punch that in and you go the wrong way, the GPS will tell you to do the U-turn and come back. We'll do it. We will follow the GPS. Um, but God has given us a greater GPS, which is his Holy Spirit, and he's constantly talking to us if we're open to listening to him. Um, he's constantly telling us what we should do. When we're in the grocery store, speak to that person. Go this way. Go that way. I can remember when I was in college and I was um, so on fire for the Lord. I, I am still on fire for him. Um, 
But I can remember when I used to go running, and it looked like it would rain, and I would pray. I would say, Lord, is it going to rain? Should I go running? This is simple things. I would say, Lord, should I go running now, or will I get rained on? He would say, go running now. you got time. And so I would run, and as soon as I get back in, it would start raining. I would say, yes, God did it. And I would, I would test God on that all the time. I was like, oh, the clouds are out, Lord. I'm going to go run anyway. You're going to hold it off for me until I get back. And he would prove himself over and over again in, that, in those little things like that. And so I was in the beginning of my faith, I was testing. You know, God was testing me, I think, because sometimes I carbon could have said, well, no, I'm not going to run, even though you said you could. Uh, but just testing me and my faith and making me stronger and more believe, uh, allow me to believe in him or to trust me for bigger and greater things. It reminds me, too, when we bought our first house, and it took some time. We had moved out of our apartment, and uh, we had to move in with some friends because the house wasn't ready yet, and I, my license was due to be changed. And so I was like, Lord, you know, I was still in limbo about whether we were going to get this house, whether we were going to move in or not. And I said, Lord, I'm believing you. I'm going to put my, uh, the new address on my license, and we hadn't moved into the house yet. But I said, well, this is the new address I want you to put in my license. So they put it on there. And I remember believing, Lord, it's on my license. I'm not going to go back and change this now if we're not able to move into this house. And sure enough, the Lord blessed us and we moved into that house. But just testing your faith, uh, like in James once said, and we're, when we should have been uh, talking about James uh, all this year. But James 1 talks about faith, uh, obeys the word of God. And James 1, 19 through 27, it talks about being doers of the word and just not hearers of the word. Uh, faith removes discrimination. James 2, 1 through 13, where it talks about faith um, doesn't have a respect of a person. So what he would do for you, he could do for me. What he did for these lepers, he could do for me. What he did for Pastor Taylor, he can do for you. He has no respect of a person. So there's no discrimination when it comes to faith. Faith proves itself by works. So part of those lepers' works were walking and going to present themselves to the priests. That was, that was a part of their works, and God was testing that. Faith produces humility, James 4, 1 through 12, and faith produces dependence on God, James 4, 13, um, and then 5, James 5 through 6. Our whole life is based on faith. Um, and so we've exhibited that. And so their faith, they went, and they were healed. But when it, as they were going, they were healed. But one of them did something that was different than the other nine, which is important for us to focus on today, is that he, once he saw that he was healed, he went to give thanks. And so many times God does things in our lives that even the small things, Sometimes that we, again, like I said before, we, are, we don't acknowledge or we're not grateful or we don't present that we're grateful for um, those acts. And, and, he, and this leper that was a Samaritan turned around and gave God thanks, uh, Jesus thanks. The act of thanksgiving, the act of giving thanks, uh, defining thanksgiving is the act of giving thanks. Grateful acknowledgement, acknowledgement of benefits or favors especially to God, expression of thanks. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And so with his thanks, he did it with a loud voice. It wasn't an inward, quiet, thank you, Jesus. He did it with a loud voice. And just not with that, but then he fell to his feet. 
and said, thank you. Because I can imagine being a leper and having been ostracized and put out by the whole city and not being able to intermingle with the general population, that that was a great thing that he felt that Jesus had done for him. And it wasn't going to be a thank you. It was going to be a thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I was, I was a leper. I wasn't allowed to see my family if, I, if they had a family, and I'm sure some of them did. I wasn't allowed to be with my children. Those people that I loved and longed for, I wasn't able to be in contact with them anymore. But now because you've healed me, I can go back and write, write relationship with those people again. And so he was, it was just not a, a mere thank you. It was a thank you and a fall into his feet and worshiping God because of what he had done. Hasn't God done some great things in your life that deserve a thank you and not just a thank you or a mere shaking of hands? Uh, I can remember when we were in Raleigh, uh, uh, our pastor used to say, you know, if the Lord, if someone, a person, would, um, would say, Lord, I'm going to give you a million dollars, that would cause you to, you know, be a, a little bit excited <laughs> and, and very grateful. And you would thank that person, even though you hadn't seen the million dollars yet. You would thank that person and say, oh, man, I would personally. Uh, I would thank that person and say, thank you so very much. You know, I appreciate it. I, I, I probably couldn't use enough words to show my appreciation for what they were giving me. And how much more has God done for us? And how much we are indebted to him that we can't thank him enough for all that he's done. Now, I know you could complain. All of us could find things to complain about. But the Lord and the word wants us to give thanks. Uh, it is our duty. Second Thessalonians 2.13. And again, you can turn or I had all those scriptures up on the projector, but don't worry about it. Uh, it is our duty in Second Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to thank God for you brothers loved by, Lord, loved by the Lord because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So it is our duty to give thanks. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, it is, our, it is his will that we give thanks. This is a very common scripture that in everything give thanks. In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So if you want to start there and you want to know the will of God for your life, because a lot of people say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I want to know the will of God for my life. Well, uh, second, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks, for this is the will of God in every circumstance, in every situation. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So if you want to start there with, what is the will of God for my life? It is to give thanks, is to have an attitude of gratitude. They're going to be doing it in heaven. In Revelations 7, 12, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So if you plan on going to heaven, you need to practice thanks now. Because when you get there, that's all we're going to do, I think. Uh, Jesus gave thanks, John eleven forty one. before he, t- uh, he gave thanks many times, uh, especially 
before um, he fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. And I wonder, sometimes my mind thinks, I was like, if he didn't give thanks, um, because he has some, if he didn't give thanks, would it have fed everyone? I'm sure it would have. But sometimes I think, you know, if before I give thanks to something, if I thank God, how will it, how will the end turn out? And for this leper, he, he, he came out to be whole. Um, but how will your end, if you, if you live a life of thanksgiving, what would that situation turn out to be that you're worried about it, you're stressed about? Instead of worrying about it or stressing out about it, which is also in his word, turn, let me get that scripture. Um, I think it's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. And then Philippians 4, I didn't write these out. This is the one I added later. Um, somehow to actually turn to them. <laughs> but let me go to Philippians 4 and 6, and I think this is the one I actually want. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make thanksgiving. Uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did it say worry about everything with thanksgiving? Uh, be stressed out about how bills are going to be paid and then thank God or don't thank God. It says be careful or uh, be anxious for nothing. Some inversions might say be anxious for nothing. I think the New American Standard, one of those says um, don't worry about anything or any circumstance. And God will have you not to worry about it because you're going to pray and then you're going to give him thanks in advance. He didn't say it was going to change. You're just going to thank him in advance for what he's going to do and your request be made known to God. And then that peace of God, which pass, uh, passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it never says that he was going to answer the situation that, the way you want it, it to be answered, but he's going to give you peace. And that is so much better because no matter how it turns out, you're still going to have God's peace. And isn't that important? Because um, sometimes we can get tied up in the outcome versus I'm going to have God's peace. Um, because the outcome could turn out the way we want it to, and we still don't like it. <laughs> sometimes that happens. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not, not you guys at, at Cornerstone. Maybe it's just me. that sometimes the outcome is the way I desired, and then it's like, oh, this is not what I expected, or this isn't what I really wanted, or this comes with an extra bill, or now I've got to pay more money for it, or and that's, that's sometimes the outcome. It's like, well, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. Uh, but if I get God's peace, then no matter what the outcome, I still got God's peace. And I'm going to be satisfied and secure in his peace, no matter what the outcome is. Another scripture uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, and I won't turn there because um, I feel like I'm running short on time. But you can write it down and go back to it when you're studying later. I know you are. <laughs> so if you don't have, oh, yeah, let me go back. I'm sorry, I missed some good scriptures here, though. Um, Psalms 100. Uh, when it talks about make a joyful noise, it didn't say make a sad noise or solemn noise or come in worried, uh, quiet noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, serve the Lord with gladness, coming for his presence with thank- thanksgiving. Um, singing, know ye that the Lord is God. We that made us not who ourselves. And it talks about thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. 
And um, Psalms 140 and 13, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto the Lord, the upright shall dwell in his presence. So if you're not thankful, then what are you? Unthankful. Ungrateful. Yeah. And that is dangerous. Ah, scary. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, and we'll look at what unthankful is listed with. And it's not good. And I, I hate to be named among, <laughs> even as the scriptures say, you don't want to be named among those. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boisterous, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and having a formula of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, from such turn away. So this is, this is a word. I didn't put unthankfulness with these group of people, and I wouldn't necessarily have thought that being unthankful would be listed with blasphemers <laughs> or without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers. He, he put unthankfulness with, the, with this group of people. So this is how God is seeing unthankfulness. Um, unthankful synonyms of unthankfulness are careless, cruel, heedless, inappreciative, rude, self-centered, thoughtless, unappreciated, uh, ungracious, ungrateful, unmindful, unthinking. And so, and I, and, and when I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I don't like when people are unthankful, especially my children. <laughs> I don't like it when people are unthankful. I think sometimes when I hold the door open at a store and I don't know the people and I hold it open and they just walk by and they don't say anything, I'm like, this is not my job. You know, you could say thank you. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually going to go in too, but okay. And so I can imagine, you know, because I don't like people who are unthankful or don't say thank you. And, my ch- and I don't like that in my children when, they, when you give them something and they just assume I'm supposed to get this. No, <laughs> I don't have to do this. Um, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting the needs, but I'm going above and beyond. And when you go above and beyond, you definitely want someone to say thank you uh, or be thankful or be appreciative. And so um, I'm, I'm sure God is thinking that's why he put unthankfulness or put unthankful with this group because it hurts his heart. Just like it would hurt my heart if I blessed you and you didn't say thank you, or if I did something for you and you didn't say thank you, uh, if I sacrificed my son dying on a cross for your sins and you don't say thank you, you treat it as, oh well, no biggie, no big deal. So looking at what Campbell Morgan wrote, what a revelation of the fact that Christ values gratitude and misses it when it is not expressed. We had another, another illustration of this in chapter 7 of Luke verses 30, 36 through 50. And I won't go there. It's a real good story. It's very familiar 
uh, when he went to the house of Simon. And Simon missed the common courtesy of the eastern home. Um, so Jesus was going into the house. Simon invited him, actually. He went into the house, but Simon didn't wash his feet, which was very common practice during that time, and anoint his head. Simon didn't do all those things. Um, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. My head with oil you did not anoint. You neglected the common courtesies. Are we not all in danger of being among the nine rather than being represented by the one, forgetting and failing in our praising? We have almost lost the art of pure praise and thank. And this is from a quote from Campbell Morgan, who was an old preacher. I think he passed away in 1945 or something like that. Um, but it was so true that the act of common courtesy, and sometimes we feel like that has been lost in our society. People don't say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And those courtesies uh, that we sometimes forget ourselves to appreciate God and all that he's done in our lives. And the benefit of that for this one leper was that he was made whole. And whole means not lacking um, without a, or is it my definition? Uh, yeah, not lacking, needing nothing, being made whole, one. Also, wholeness could be uh, meaning safe or saved, to be rescued from danger or destruction. Whole also meaning your spirit, soul, and body is in line. I'm, I'm, I'm whole. I'm complete. And so because of his thankfulness, he was made whole. And I admonish you, as we get ready to close, to not forget the common courtesy of thanking God for all that, he is, all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he has yet to do in your life. Because if you're here, he's not finished with you. He's yet to do some great things in your life. And so thank God every day for waking me up, because he didn't have to. Some people did not get up this morning. Um, some people, I, I, I think about the war in Afghanistan and, and also in Iraq, but there were, I think, six Americans that died, ten in all, I think, from um, the others were from other countries, but they were doing a great thing. I think there was a doctor, a couple of doctors and nurses, and they were just ambushed and died helping people. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure they, their families wish they were here and wish they were here to give thanks to God. And I Thank God for their life and what they're doing and all the military men and women who are sacrificing so much for their country. But you, too, need to be thankful for what God is doing in your life. You know, and that's a great sacrifice the military does, but um, God has already, Jesus has already died on the cross for your sin. Um, and he is yet blessing you with life and health and strength. And even though we have some aches sometime and my right knee kind of hurts sometimes every now and then. Um, it's nothing compared to what could be and the blessings that God has given me and bestowed upon me. I, have, I can't complain. I could, but I can't complain because the good so much outweigh the bad. And what God is doing in my life is so much more greater than the complaints that I could have. You just stand to your feet. We'll get ready to close.
I want to thank you guys for being patient. <laughs> uh, but foremost, I just want to thank God for blessing us, for keeping us, for as we traveled here and there, sometimes we forget accidents and things happen all the time to people. Um, we should be so thankful. Um, and thank, and being thankful is not always about what, um, how I say thank you, but I want to thank the person that would best appreciate them. And so it may not, may be out of my box. I may not like to say thank you to people, but if I know if it's going to appreciate that person, then I'll say thank you. If, I'm, if I know something like, if this person likes something, then I want to appreciate them in that way. Uh, bow your heads. Mm. Just want to pray and ask the prayer team to come forward too at this time. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know him dying on the cross of your sins, you can come forward or raise your hand at this time. And I want to just pray in general for the congregation just for us to be more thankful. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your people. Uh, I pray that we are more thankful that we do not forget the courtesy of saying thank you for all that you do in our lives, all that you continue to show us, all that um, you poured into us. You see our, our despicable hearts and you yet love us. You see the, our inward parts of us and you're yet cleaning us and you're yet hanging in there with us. If we faint not, so pray that they do not get weary and well-doing and don't quit, don't, get, don't throw in the towel. But let's be thankful for, for where you're taking us, how far you've taken us, and, and where you are taking us to. And we just thank you, Lord. We can't say it enough. We can't out-thank you. Because when we thank you for one thing, you're, you're doing another. So we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Let us be a grateful people. Let us not forget let our hearts be gracious. Let us have an attitude of gratitude. And let us see the power of gratitude in our lives as we begin to thank people and, be, and thank you, Lord God. You will work miracles. And people will be healed and set free, free and be made whole. So we thank you in Jesus' name.